It's good to be together this morning to start off the week, right? Good uh, not just to be together, but to be together starting off the week in God's Word, right? This is the beginning of the week, and it's good to get it off to a good start like this uh, with one another. Uh, But I'm curious, did everybody have a good weekend? Yeah? Anybody do anything exciting they want to share? Yeah, probably not. That's what I figured. Um, I'd like to... (laughs) I'd like to share a little bit with you about my weekend. Um, Friday night, I actually sat down on the couch and watched a documentary. And this documentary was on how ships are built. It was riveting. (laughs) Saturday morning, went to the library and I went uh, up to one of the librarians down there and I asked her if she knew where any of the books uh, were kept on paranoia. She leaned in real close to me, kind of creepy, and whispered, they're right behind you. Weird weekend already right off the bat. Um, After lunch, I took a self-defense class and I learned something new from the instructor. I hadn't heard this before. She said, if you're ever attacked by a group of clowns, go for the juggler. (laughs) Yesterday afternoon, we went to the park. We were playing catch. Me and Mackenzie throwing softball back and forth. Thing kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and I couldn't figure out why at first. And then it hit me. And I'm starting a new hobby, by the way, snail racing. Yes, you heard that right. I'm going to race snails competitively. So I went over to PetSmart. Believe it or not, they sell snails. That's hard for me to say. They sell snails. And I thought probably the best thing to do is to remove the shell. I thought it would make the snail faster. Turns out it just made him more sluggish. (laughs) I need somebody up here. And then last thing, last thing I did, um, actually last night, ran over to Lowe's, got a new refrigerator for Kathy. I could tell she liked it a lot. So her face lit up when she opened it. <laughs> that's it. There's all, that's all there is, guys. <laughs> so I had a good weekend. I really did. And I'm glad to be here starting off the first day of the week with you guys. Uh, let's get down to business. Um, we just started our new message series last week called Jude, Contending for the Faith, uh, where we're going to be working our way verse by verse through this short letter uh, of Jude. And we can do that, we said, because it's, it's relatively short. It's just 25 verses. There's no chapter divisions. Uh, short little letter. Uh, we mentioned last week that the overall theme of Jude's letter comes to us in verse 3. And it's this, this, um, this challenge to Christians to contend for the faith, to, to fight for it, to protect it. And he says that, he, Jude wants us to do that because it's too valuable to risk losing it. It's too valuable to, to leave any of it on the line. It's too valuable to sit on the sidelines and not fight for. And so Jude does everything he can in these 25 verses to help his audience see this fact, that, that it is too valuable to, to just sit and, and, and just assume that, that it'll never go away, that it'll never be stolen, that no one will ever fall away, that there will never be issues or anything like that. He's trying to get this across in the whole letter that, that it's too valuable, you guys. We need to fight for it. We need to protect it. So that's what Jude's doing uh, for his audience. And you guys, as we're going through this today, we are Jude's audience. And so this is for us. We're, let's jump into our text uh, here today. We're going to be in verse 3 this morning. We're going to be uh, spending our time just camped out in verse 3. And so if you're not there, make sure you get there. Uh, we're going to read from that in just a moment. I want to bring you a message today called Keep the Faith. Sounds a little cliche, but you know, I'm a simple-minded guy. You could tell from my jokes at the beginning, so that's just the way we're going to keep it. Keep the faith. Jude says a lot in this single verse, just verse 3. He says a lot here. That's, it's all very important stuff. 
And what Jude says here in verse 3, we've kind of already said this before, but we need to remember this is the foundation upon which everything else in this letter is built on. All the sub-themes, all the concepts, all the lessons that are, that are brought up, the, the, the reminders from history that he mentions, everything is built up from this foundation of what is said in verse 3. So, so man, this week is a real important one for us to dial in and make sure that we pay close attention. So look at verse 3 with me this morning where Jude says, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. Here's the big idea we want to get from this this morning that we need to get a hold of and walk away with, walk out of the, these doors today uh, understanding this, a, a firm grasp on this right here. The church has got to, must understand that there is and forever will be only one true faith. That, that's critical. And, okay, understand that. And the church must actively honor that fact. Now, how do you do that? Well, first of all, we need to understand how important the faith really is. We need to, we need to value it properly to really understand how valuable it is. <clears throat> it also involves actively and intentionally working. Actively and intentionally working to protect, to preserve the faith, not just in our own lives, but to help others to do that as well. We're all in this together. Have you ever heard that before? What is that, High School Musical, or is that the Bible? I can't remember, but, but we're all in this together, guys, okay? We're helping each other. We need to do that. It also involves us resolutely, I mean steadfastly, standing on the fact that the original faith was delivered once for all. It's not changing, right? It's not going to change. So we need to stand on it resolutely, steadfastly. We need to be immovable, standing on the solid rock, as we say sometimes. That's the kind of faith, or that's the kind of understanding we have to have of this one true faith, and that is how we actively honor the one true faith, okay? So this morning... We're going to break this verse up into to three sections. Uh, we often do something like this, right? And each section is going to help us to grasp this big idea that we're trying to get a hold of and walk away with this morning, okay? So um, the first section is going to kind of set the stage, going to kind of prepare us to understand the importance, to understand the significance, the value of the one true faith and our need to fight for it. And then the second section delivers the actual command, hey, Christian, you fight for the faith. Contend earnestly. Okay, that's where we're going to see the actual command. And then the last section reminds us to be confident in the original faith that isn't changing, never has, never will, was never intended to. Okay, so those, those are the three sections we're going to look at. Uh, but first of all, let's, let's do it like this. Let's, let's look first at Jude's original efforts. Jude's original efforts. I want you to see that Jude was already uh, active. He was already actively doing something, involved in an important work here, already working to provide something of value uh, to the spiritual well-being of the people he was writing to. And here's what we want to get from this. Because of the importance of what Jude changed his mind from, okay, he was already working on something, because of the importance of what Jude changed his mind from uh, to what he changed his mind to, 
we can see just how important it is what he changed his mind to do instead, right? If what he was going to do before was incredibly important and he changed his mind and needed to do something else, felt like he had to write about something else, then, then that tells us just how important that other thing was, right? Does that make sense? Look at verse 3 again, the, the first part of that verse. He says, Beloved, while I was writing, or while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, okay? That's the, that's the setting uh, that, that he changed his mind in, okay? He's saying, first of all, I was writing to you, I wanted to write to you about our common salvation. He's already making every effort, he says, to, to send a letter to these guys. That's what the scripture says here. He wasn't slacking off. He wasn't waiting for uh, something worthwhile to write about. He wasn't ov trying to avoid work and then something popped up and he just had to jump in and do something about it now, right? He wasn't just sitting around twiddling his thumbs doing nothing. He says he was making every effort to get a letter sent to these people about this salvation that they shared. He's, he's busy. He's working hard. This was important. Now, the word effort up here can have the definition of haste or zeal or diligence, or all of the above. It can mean any or all of these things. Now, what's significant about that? Well, with the definition of haste, this might tell us that Jude was, he was in a hurry. He was trying quickly to get something together for them because he thought this was so important. We need, to, we need to get this in writing quickly, okay? It could have been something like that. Or with the definition of zeal and diligence, maybe he was, you know, he was just, this was something he was passionate about. He was zealous about. And, and diligence, maybe he was, he was um, you know, trying to be very complete and very thorough about this because this was an, a, a very important subject that we didn't want to leave out a detail about. We don't know. Maybe it was all of the above. Maybe all of these things are what he was doing and the way he was doing it, I guess. Maybe it was all of the above. What we know for sure is that Jude, we can tell from this, that this was clearly, uh, he, was, he was very clearly, um, this was, he was committed to writing about this. We can see because of the every effort he was making, he was very seriously committed to doing this, to writing and sending a letter about their common salvation. He, he was either going to write or was already writing about what he calls our common salvation. You see that? He says our common salvation. Now that word our, that, that plural pronoun, I know it's, it, these days it's, it's like you know, it almost makes you feel embarrassed to use the word pronoun because it's, you know, it's people are pushing weird things. And, you know, now it's one of those words that oh, preachers talking about pronouns. <laughs> like, look, pronouns are just grammar. OK, calm down. All right. He this plural pronoun our is including himself with the audience. Right. The people he's writing to when we say our we're referring to myself and others. Right. And so when he's writing to these people and he says, our common salvation, he's talking about something that they, they share together, right? Now, I know that sounds pretty obvious, but it's important to point it out so we can understand the next phrase as we set that up. Jude says, our common salvation, our common salvation. You see that there? Now, the word common in the English language or in the word that he used in the original Greek can mean something that is shared, like shared in common, something that is shared by all or by a group of people, or it can mean something that's basic, you know, like the way I dress, you know, and that's what Nikki says. She says, I'm basic, all right? <laughs> it can mean something basic. It can mean something unholy, just meaning that it's not set apart for a special purpose, not that it's, you know, particularly evil, but just basic, common, unremarkable, nothing special. It can mean either one of those things. Well, 
what does it mean here? What does, does, is he saying this is our common salvation? How does he mean it when he says it's common? Well, remember that Jude just used the term our, including multiple people. So that would lead us to believe that he's saying common, meaning something we share together with a, a group of people. And we can also probably rule out the other definition of common because he's describing salvation. And there is no context where salvation is basic, where it's unholy or where it's general or where there's nothing special about it or it's unremarkable. There, there's no context where salvation is that kind of common, okay? What we need to realize here, what we need to see is that a letter about our common salvation would certainly have been a worthy, valuable subject to write about. This was something special, something completely unique. Uh, we use that term unique all the time just to say that, you know, there, there aren't a lot of things like it. But unique means unique. There's nothing else like this. And that's salvation, we're talking about something very special, something unique, and they share it together. What a worthy letter, a worthwhile subject to write about. This was important, our common salvation. In fact, I recall, um, who was it? Um, I think it was the Apostle Paul. I think he wrote a letter to some Christians. Where were they? Um, Rome, maybe. The book of Romans, that's right. The book of Romans is all about our common salvation. Paul, the Apostle Paul, lays out for us all about salvation, what a person becomes when they are saved, how they are saved, what salvation is now, what it looks like in the future, all these things. He lays out all kinds of stuff. This is a, the book of Romans is this indispensable, invaluable book about all these elements of our common salvation, and there's not a student of the Bible on the face of the planet who, who in any way diminishes the value or questions the value of the book of Romans. Right? I mean, it's a, the book of Romans is one big old deal. And here we see in verse 3 of our text that Jude was himself making every effort to write to them about uh, these things, about the elements of our common salvation. Obviously a very important thing. But... While Jude was making every effort to write that letter, that book, however you want to say it, he felt the necessity, the necessity to write about something else, and that was the necessity to fight. The necessity to fight. Not throwing punches, nothing like that, but to protect, right? To, to fight in that way. Now, something else we need to make sure we realize before we move on any further is that we're not talking about Jude just, just changing his mind on a whim here. Okay, he didn't just decide to write about something, you know, that, that he thought maybe his audience would rather hear about. He, he didn't just change his mind, you know, because he got a feeling or he ate a bad burrito the night before. It wasn't anything like that. This change of direction was a necessity. Look at the second part of verse 3 again. He says, I felt the necessity, okay? While I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith. Jude felt the necessity. I'm going to say that like eight more times. The necessity to write about something else. Now, <clears throat> this statement right here, the fact that it was a necessity, also sheds light on the importance of what Jude actually ended up writing about. Not just what he was going to write about, but what he ended up finally deciding to write about instead. The subject that he was going to write about, we just talked about, was worthy already, but he felt the necessity 
to write about something else. The fact that Jude calls it a necessity ought to get our full attention. Okay, anything in the Bible that says you do this or you make sure you don't do that, right? These spiritual life and death statements, we need to key in on those. Well, here we've got a writer saying, an inspired by God writer saying, I felt the necessity. I wanted to write about this. I was going to write about this, but I felt the necessity to write about that. Anytime you see something like that, oh my goodness, do not gloss over that. This is, this is critical information here, okay? And again, make no mistake about it. When Jude says he felt the necessity, he doesn't just mean he had a feeling the way we will say, you know, I don't know. I just have a feeling that I should. <laughs> this is different, right? Second uh, Peter chapter one, verses 20 and 21. That should say up there says, uh, but know this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. You see, that's, that's where Bible writers got their necessity to write about what they wrote about. They got it from God, right? Jude didn't just feel like this was a necessity. He was inspired by God to do this, as all Bible writers are. 2 Timothy 3.16, we know that all Scripture is inspired by God. Now, if this is true, and if it was a necessity for Jude to write about this, it's a necessity for us to do something about this, right? It's a necessity for you and I to heed Jude's words, to take to heart what he's done. When you take something to heart, uh, Ethan has talked about this on Tuesday nights, right? When you take something to heart, it changes you, right? It's not just, I got this feeling in my heart. You know? No, it's, it's you took it and it's inside you and you've decided you're going to live by this now and nothing's going to change it. We need to take this to heart. We need to do what, what Jude is saying must be done. If this wasn't a, a fallible feeling, but divine discernment, then we've got a critical command here. We, we've got to do what we're hearing, what's being written to us. We have to do this. And so what do we have to do? The church must, has to contend earnestly for the faith. We got to do this. This is critical. We spoke last week briefly about that big, long, hairy Greek word, epagonizomai, or so they say. That's how you say it. Now, I don't know for sure. I don't think anybody does. It's a dead language, and we're just trying to figure it out. So, you know, you say it the way you want to say it. I'll say it like this. But epagonizomai is, is how they say you say it, meaning to struggle for something, right? To struggle for something, to contend earnestly. That's the phrase, those are the words he uses in our text today, to contend earnestly, to struggle for something, to compete about something as a combatant, right? You're someone fighting in this. You're not just kind of on the outside observing and you're there, somebody needs you. No, you are in the battle as a combatant, at least in the command you are. Now, if you don't obey, you don't obey it, but to obey this, you're in the fight. You're in here fighting, protecting the faith, contending earnestly for it. Now, that means, we said last week, this is not a, a fun word, like, like we just throw it around just kind of for fun and in jokes and things like this. This is a serious word, right? This means, using this word means that there is going to be serious work required on the part of Christians. Now, now let me make sure you heard that. The very fact that Jude uses the term epagonizomai, meaning to struggle for something, means that there is going to be work involved in this. There is going to be. It is going to be required. What kind of work are we talking about? 
I want to make this simple uh, for the sake of simplicity for me and for you. And to make it easier to remember, let's distill what the Bible says all throughout the scriptures. Let's distill what the Bible says about contending for the faith into three action words. Prepare. I'm slowing down for the note takers. (laughs) Prepare, proclaim, and protect. Prepare, proclaim, and protect. Those are all action words. And that's basically what it boils down to. Prepare. The Bible teaches us to, uh, well, there's all three of the words. I could have put that up and then I wouldn't have to go slow. I could keep moving. Prepare, proclaim, protect. Okay, let's talk about preparing. The Bible teaches us to make ourselves ready at all times to be able, uh, able to handle the word of God the way we're supposed to. 2 Timothy 4.2 says, preach the word, be ready, be prepared. Be ready in season and out of season. And then uh, ready for what? Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Now, look, I know that these are words that were written specifically to an evangelist, to, to Timothy, the evangelist. I get that. But aren't we all commanded to do these things that, that are mentioned in this, this verse? Aren't we all commanded to go and proclaim the gospel? Aren't all disciples of Jesus supposed to do that? Aren't we all supposed to help uh, an erring brother or sister to sit down with them uh, uh, to, to confront them with, with patience and love and gentleness, to, to help them to turn the right way, to, to, to veer off of, of, of the path they veered off onto and back on to the straight and narrow way? Aren't we supposed to be reproving and rebuking and exhorting with patience and instruction? We are. We are. You can do your head like this. Yes, absolutely, those are things we're supposed to do. So everybody who's using God's word to do these things needs to do it in this way, needs to be ready, needs to prepare themselves, needs to be prepared like this, ready in season and out of season. That means all the time, all right, all the time. And 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 15 explains the kind of effort that it takes to be prepared the way we need to be. Look what it says and pay close attention to the highlighted, bolded, and underlined words here. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed accurately handling the word of truth. Church, look at this. Our preparation to contend earnestly for the faith requires diligence. We gotta be thorough, we've gotta be consistent. And we got to be workmen, not afraid to to roll up our sleeves metaphorically, spiritually speaking, or maybe physically at times so that we can do what we need to do to contend for the faith. Uh, The hard work that it takes to prepare for that kind of job, the hard work of studying, the hard work of studying for understanding all the things, prayer, all the things that it takes. We got to be workmen. And if you can't say with honesty that, that I probably appear to God as a workman, if you can't say that about yourself, then you need to get to work. Start preparing the way the Bible says to. And and the last thing that he mentions here, we need to be prepared and committed to accurately handling the word of truth. We need to be very concerned about accuracy when it comes to the word of God. Don't misuse or abuse or pervert the word of God. Make sure you're handling it accurately. Make sure you're sharing it accurately, right? Make sure you know what God has actually said. Not, and we'll talk about that tonight in our study, uh, uh, heavy, Okay, and as we go on through the weeks during our six o'clock study tonight that we're starting brand new tonight, um, I didn't mean to plug that, but there it is. Um, We're going to talk about the importance of that, how, how critically important it is to make sure that what we're sharing and what we're believing, first of all, came from the Word of God and not just something somebody said one time or something that our parents said. Or something that our grandparents said. No disrespect to parents or grandparents or, or friends or anybody else that you heard things from. 
But let's make sure that we give all respect to what God has said, okay? We need to accurately handle the truth. This is, this is part of the necessity of fighting for the faith, being prepared. And then we need to proclaim. We've got to proclaim. Proclaim the truth. Proclaim what you've studied. And most importantly, proclaim the gospel, Proclaim the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. In Mark chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus commands that his followers go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. In Matthew 28, verse 19, Jesus told his disciples to go, therefore, and make disciples of all. The How do you make disciples? You've got to share the truth, right? You've got to proclaim it. Make disciples of all the nations. And in verse 20, he said that his disciples were to be teaching them all that I commanded you. Jesus said that. The necessity of fighting for the faith requires that we prepare and we proclaim, but it also requires this, this protection. We've got to be actively involved in protecting it. We've been commanded to protect the faith, to defend the faith, right? In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, Peter instructs us to sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Listen, always being ready to make a defense, to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. That's on us. That's on us to be prepared to do that, to be proclaiming the truth, and then to actively protect it, to give that defense. And passages like Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11, teach us that protecting the truth is an active thing. We don't sit idly by and wait for somebody to come by and ask us for our opinion. No, we're to be proactively opposing and even exposing that which is not aligned with God's word. Ephesians 5, 11, it says, do not participate, first of all, in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. You see that? that that's our job. Okay, and we don't do it in a, in a annoying way. We don't do it in a shoving it down people's throats like, you know, like some of us, you know, we say, well, I don't want to shove it down anybody's throat. Or, or other people say, well, I don't like Christians shoving it down their throat. I don't know that anybody ever has. You know, I feel like that would have made the news if the truth ever got shoved down somebody's throat, okay? But, but we're supposed to be exposing these deeds of darkness. And, and I know that sounds like, you know, we're going and we're like, shining a big flashlight on people and be like, ha, look at you, look where I caught you. But it's not that. It's just showing what a clean life looks like. Explaining the value of, of being faithful to God and, and, and living by his truths. That's how you expose the darkness. You show the light, right? It, because we don't get to just go, ha, and point a finger. That does no good. In fact, that just looks like darkness to the world. But when we show the light, and the light is not some aggressive, offensive tool that we use. The light is the love of God, the truth of his word. When we do that, we expose the darkness. But when we keep that light inside, we're not exposing anything except our own unfaithfulness. And so, so that's what it, it looks like. So, um, oh, oh my goodness, I, sorry, I got one more scripture I want to show you too. Romans 16, 17, this shows us we even got to watch out for people. Talk about protecting. We got to watch out for people even in the church who aren't aligned with the truth of God's word. Romans 16, 17 says, I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned and turn away from them. This protection aspect of things is so important, you guys. Imagine building a, a, a house, building this nice, beautiful, strong, well-built, sturdy home, and then inviting some people who like to start fires to come and hang out inside. Not real smart, is it? In fact, you'd probably kick them out. 
right? You'd probably say, look, here's the deal. If you're going to keep playing with matches and this lighter stuff, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take them away from you or I'll, I'll have to kick you out of here, okay? Imagine doing that, right? We can see how silly that would be. Well, we have got to protect what we've built up, not just in our own lives, but what we've worked to build up in others. We've got to be on our guard. We've got to be protecting this stuff. So remember, fighting for the faith, which is a necessity for Christians, involves preparing, proclaiming, and protecting. Don't forget it. But last thing, what is the faith? What is it that we're being called to contend earnestly for? Jude describes it, I believe, in verse 3, as the unchanging faith. The unchanging faith. Now, the faith could be described a lot of different ways, right? We could, we could all put our own uh, little adjective on it, I'm sure. Uh, it's powerful. It's saving. It's loving. It's foundational. It's practical. You guys probably could come up with others. There's all kinds of things that it could be that it is. It actually is a lot of things. But when you've got a situation like Jude is facing, when you've got people out there being led astray by false teachers who are combining Christianity with Eastern mysticism and uh, Greek mythology and philosophy and things like this, the most important thing to emphasize to these folks about the faith is that it is unchanging. It's not changing. So these guys who are trying to add to it, trying to mix it with this and that and make it something different, hey, stop. Don't, don't pay attention to them. The faith is unchanging. It was once for all delivered, right? That's, that's how he said it in verse 3. He says the faith, this is what he wanted to write about, or this is what he did write about, that we need to contend earnestly for the faith, which, okay, this is describing the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. It's unchanging. It was one time for all handed down. Doesn't need to be done again, right? Once for all, the phrase that he uses here in the Greek, it comes from a, it's a Greek word that means uh, of perpetual, it refers to something of perpetual validity, right? It's, it's always uh, accurate, it's always true, it's always correct and right, okay? N not just that it doesn't change, but even that it's always right, it's always valid. It can also mean that it doesn't require repetition, all right? So Jude fully intended to say that the faith here is something that has been, is, and forever will be true and valid. And something that doesn't need to be added to. Nothing needs to be added to it. Something that was once and is for all. Delivered once and was delivered for all. Now, it's important to also make sure that we understand that the faith is not specifically referring to your faith. Let me explain that. Your faith is your belief and your trust in whatever you want to put it in, right? The faith are those things which we believe and trust in, right? A set of beliefs. What God has delivered once for all, those things that we need to believe, okay? Jude's audience clearly had an understanding of what the faith was, right? And so can we. So can we. Because in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 5, the Bible says there's only how many faiths? Just one. There's just one faith. He says it in Ephesians 4 verse 5. There's just one faith and the rest of the Bible speaks to this, backs this up. There's just one faith. So what is the one faith? Well, normally we would just describe it as Christianity. That's the faith. When we say the faith, we're talking about Christianity. Uh, there, there are certain things that define Christianity. Things in the Bible, okay, in the Bible, that must be known, must be believed, must be understood and, and agreed upon, or we're not talking about Christianity here, okay? We're talking about something else. And, and while it's possible that Jude may have had a, 
a variety, you know, various foundational doctrines of Christianity in mind. He, he may have had lots of things in mind. I don't know. What we can say for sure is at a, at, I hate to say a bare minimum because it sounds like it's not much. No matter what, he had to at least be including the gospel in this. The gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Listen, even if you're intimately familiar with 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, listen very closely to this, because we're going to connect it to Jude here in just a moment. So listen very closely. Look at your Bibles. or up here on the screen and follow along. Hang with me here real quick before we wrap up. Paul wrote here. He said, now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel. So he's going to share the gospel here. Okay, there's a little bit in between, but he's getting ready to share the gospel. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, he says, which you also received, in which also you stand, by which, again, the gospel, also you're saved if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now listen to this in verse 3. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Now, I told you, I want you to see the connection here. Notice in our text that Jude says, in verse 3 of our text, he says, the faith has been handed down. It's been handed down to the saints, Jude says. Handed down like, like an inheritance. Handed down like something we're to, to value and protect and, and hand down to the next generation. Handed down like something we're to value, protect, hand down to the next generation and teach them to value, protect, and hand down to the next generation. Do you see that? And then Paul, here in verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says that he delivered as of first importance... Well, he also received. So this was delivered to Paul, and he was delivering it to others. It was being handed down. He was passing along what had already been passed along to him. Do you see this being delivered? It being unchanged and passed down, something that's supposed to be shared. Uh, Paul was himself contending earnestly for the faith in this action. Guys, we can prepare and protect and proclaim the faith, preserving it, passing it along, because it's the same yesterday, today, and forever, like the Lord who is described in the Word as the Word. Jesus is the same. The Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His word is the same yesterday and today and forever. Jude had good reason to point out that the faith was once for all handed down to the saints because it was not to be added to. It was not to be picked over or mixed with other philosophies or, or purposely interpreted in such a way that, that mankind, human beings, simple minds thought was more relevant. More relevant to say it this way. Nothing is more relevant than the word of God. And the Word of God has never been more relevant in this era than that era, this age or that age, right? The gospel, the entire Word of God, for that matter, are as relevant as anything that has ever existed or ever will exist. It's living, it's enduring, we're told, while everything else fades away, the Word of our Lord remains, it endures forever. If you say more than the Bible says, you're saying too much. If you say less than the Bible says, you're not saying enough. If you say exactly what the Bible says, you're saying exactly what you're supposed to say. That's how we're to handle the Word of God. That's how we're to fight for the faith. In this world of relativism and fluidity and general confusion, 
The church needs to be steadfast and come to grips with this fact that we will not effectively be able to contend earnestly for the faith, to keep it alive, to protect it, and pass it along to the next generation the way we're supposed to, unless we grasp this concept that the faith isn't changing. It's not going to change. And if you change it, you're off the path. You're on the wrong side of this, this battle. All that God has said, we're told, is useful, it's profitable, it's relevant in every generation. The faith that was once for all handed down, delivered to the saints, it's been setting people free for generations, centuries. It's been creating love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness in the lives of those who live by it since it was first delivered. We don't change the faith, church. We don't change the faith, we're changed by it. And we protect it so that others can be changed by it. When you change it, others can't be changed by it. Not the way God wants them to. The word doesn't change. The faith doesn't change. We're changed by it. The faith is something worth contending for. We, we know that this is a critical message. We know how critical it is. After all, Jude was making every effort to write to these people about our common salvation, but it was necessary for him to write this letter instead, contending that we contend, or, or appealing that we contend earnestly for the faith. And we know that the faith is worth our time to prepare and to proclaim and protect because studying, praying, teaching, preaching, combating false doctrine, exposing the darkness, this is what contending earnestly for the faith looks like in real life. This is what it looks like in real life. And as we're contending, we have to be, we must be keenly aware, it's got to be on the top of our minds all the time, that the faith, the fact that the faith has not and will not and is not to change we may as well not contend for the faith if we're not going to be faithful to it. If we're not going to be faithful to it, the way it was delivered once for all to the saints, to the church that you are a, a very special part of, this is a very special body. If you're going to be unfaithful to the faith, those things that we are and others are supposed to cling to and believe and understand and obey, might as well just not even do it. Because the result of that is ground will continue to be lost. Faith will decline. Souls will be condemned on your watch. The blood will be on your hands. And God will be dishonored. That's the, the biggest, worst part of this whole thing. So don't, don't let the faith change. And don't you be guilty of changing it. Or trying to, to put your spin on it. Make it more relative or something like that. Let others be changed by it. Don't change the faith. It was handed down once for all. It's the perfect power of God to save anyone and everyone. It's what we're to be living our lives by. Sharing with others. Allowing them. Urging them to live their lives by. And it's the only thing. Here's the most critical part. It's the only thing that we've been given by God to use. In all this that we're saying we need to do, God has only given us this. He's only given us His Word. And you know, when you say it like that, it sounds like it's not enough. But it's all we need. It's exactly what we need. And nothing else, nothing else can do what the Word of God does. So, so don't be changing it. Share it. Guys, as Jude says, Beloved, contend earnestly for the faith. Which was once for all delivered to the saints once for all handed down with something we need to protect it's something we need to pass along and that's exactly what Jude is going to spend the rest of his letter showing us why and how and, and warn us about if we don't guys again I'm going to say it this week as we as we finish 
be here if you possibly can for every single week. Last week I told you that and it was critical. We covered the introduction and we already saw how important uh, this thing was that Jude was setting up. Today was like the here's, here's the foundation. We're laying it out. This is, this is that moment in the construction period where you're like oh they're really building this thing. Like, like we've poured a, a, a big old heavy foundation here. Like, like there's no turning back now. From here on out Jude's going to be sharing critical information for us to, to do what he's called us to do. What God put in him, inspired him to write to us about. So be here every single week. Let's pray. Let's pray.